This is the K-Pop Cast, bringing you the best sounds and ideas in K-Pop each week. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today we are asking the question, why is underage sexualization of minors in K-Pop so popular? Why is it a hot topic? What are the politics and economics and sociology underpinning this issue? And what brought this to our attention? Well, for example, New Jeans' song Cookie raised a lot of eyebrows. I think it was a few months ago. It was a song presented by teenage girls, mostly under the age of 16, singing lyrics that were partly interpreted as being sexual in nature amongst English-speaking listeners. This kicked off a debate that isn't entirely new for K-pop, namely the prevalence of sexualized minors in K-pop. In 2010, Hyuna's change, ooh, I was there for that, that was a music video actually banned for minors due to the overtly sexual content in the music video. Ironically, Hyuna herself was underage and would have been banned from seeing her own music video at that time. So there's some, something is not making sense there. Anyways, over the past few weeks, months, we've gathered a few folks to chat about why this trend continues to be so popular, so controversial. And hopefully at the end of this discussion, we'll be able to offer some thoughts on how we, sh- we as fans should think about or consume this content. So again, I'm your host, Stephanie. Hi, I'm your PD and Michaela. I'm actually filling in for Chris and Chan this episode. They were, unfortunately, they couldn't couldn't join, um, but they, they left their comments on this topic, so I'll be able to, we'll be able to share their thoughts, especially from the music industry perspective on this topic. But we are joined by our very special guest, K-pop Sociology. She's a content creator promoting the critical consumption of K-pop. She combines her experience growing up in South Korea and 20 plus years following the industry with sociology knowledge to help her international audience better understand and enjoy K-pop. Welcome. Welcome back, actually, right? This is your first deep dive with us, but you were, you joined us for a hit replay last time. Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. My name is K-pop Sociology. I'm a Korean-American content creator and have been making videos about K-pop since 2009. I was also there for Kyonan's change in 2010. Right. I wish I could have been there. That that was that was a moment. Yo, I'm telling you. <laughs> Speaking of stuff that happened in the 2010s or earlier, this topic has been around for a long time, right? So K-pop sociology, I was wondering if we could have you kind of recap some of the precedents, some of the history around this topic of, you know, sexualization of minors in the K-pop scene. Yeah, happy to start with a brief history or precedence around this topic. So going way back in the 90s, there used to be a censorship law in South Korea that banned songs that were either too sexually suggestive or had too many English lyrics. But this law expired or was uh, abolished in 1996, which is when we start to see more and more sexually suggestive music and visuals. <laughs> and and English lyrics all and over And English K-pop. lyrics, both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, this, this sexually suggestive for K-pop at the time. I remember like getting into K-pop around 2009, 2010 and reading about things being banned for sexual content and watching them and being like, oh, this is what they were talking about? This is this pretty is nothing, right? <laughs> vanilla compared to especially what we were watching in the U.S. at the time. You should have been mm-hmm. there in the 90s. I remember when people couldn't show their belly button on stage. So like mm. crop tops where you can oh, show your yeah. midsection but not your belly button was wow. the way that people got around. So that was way kind of 1990s. And I think, you know, there have been concerns and criticisms about the sexy concept, especially if it involves minors. And minors, defined in South Korean terms, as anybody who's under the age of, international age of 19. Mm. So one example of this, I think, is Stellar, a K-pop girl group who debuted in 2011 and promoted sexually suggestive songs like Marionette and Vibrato, if you remember. And years after the group had disbanded, the members actually spoke up about how they felt forced to comply to this concept, even though they didn't want to. And some of the members were only 18 or 19 at the time. Right. Mm. That's really sad. And that that brings up for me, one of the core issues here or questions is, are the artists being forced or coerced into something that they don't want to do? Because like, 
What's difficult for me is like I as a teenager or even like early preteen, I was I was copying sexy dance moves in my room like right. from MTV. <laughs> You know, (laughs) I was having a great time, like pretending to be sexy. And I knew what sexy was. And think of all those awkward moments at those like middle school dances. Oh, man, middle school dances. (laughs) Right, right. And I was like, what, 10, 11? And the idea that kids, kids that young, like should not be allowed to see or to try or to even think about moving in a certain way that 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 rubs me the wrong way like the just the control or policing or or coercing of children's play or like what they want to what they want to do to express like that rubs me the wrong way just forcing or coercing in any direction mhm i think one example that the stellar member gave was mm-hmm. in a music video they received the script where it says oh the song is about a breakup and you wake up in the morning and drink some milk, but you look really sad. She shows up on set and the director asks her to spill some of the milk on her shirt. But right. the mil- if you look at the actual final mm. product of the music video, it's very suggestive of the white liquid just slowly dripping down mm. from her mouth to her shirt, which she didn't understand at the time and yeah. then later realized. So the shock behind that or the trauma associated with that. Oh, so sad. Terrible. I think um, another example is IU's songs 23 and Tete received a lot of criticism for its connection to Lolita theme. Right. IU later had to apologize and clarify that her intentions were not to suggest anything sexual about children. But I hope these two examples provide some background context in order to kickstart our conversation today. Yeah, because this, this is a conversation we've been having for a long time. <laughs> Definitely. And, and, and could you uh, define what Lolita means? Right. Yeah. These these terms like Shota and Lolita. Yeah. yeah um, feel free to add in. My understanding is that it's actually a novel that has themes of sexualization or lustful love towards a younger female child, mm. but it refers to the larger concept of sexualizing minors. Is that a correct understanding? Is that what you... How you think yeah, of it? Too? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, like a, a younger girl or child who is, on the one hand, like pure and innocent, but also mm. like sexually available for, <laughs> or open or receptive to sexual attention, right? And that, ooh, if that does not describe K-pop and pop in general, like I don't know what does. <laughs> it's all over. Both, both genders, you know. Yeah, I think about the how common the schoolgirl or schoolboy concept is. Literally wearing uniforms that resemble your middle school or your high school and the dances associated when people wear those outfits is one another prime example of idolizing youth or sexualizing youth. Yeah, I wonder how this connects to and like maybe there's an an intersection here between um, infantilization and sexualization like where is where do these two meet because I definitely see both of them appearing in in k-pop in in labels production of the idols and their look like making older k-pop idols dress as young students Mm -hmm. for example it's almost like they're trying to they're trying to achieve this sweet spot medium, right? Of like not not quite a woman, but not a girl anymore. Uh, yeah. Like going back and forth and back and forth, just trying to like hit that center. Yeah. I think about who the target audience for that type of content or music yeah. is. And I think about the male gaze or mm-hmm. uh, men mm. who receive or view this kind of content and might be attracted to it. It's kind of like the treading between innocent virgin image to now a woman who's like opened her eyes. I see mm. that theme often. Mm-hmm. I mean, what it, and and thanks for bringing up the male gaze and patriarchy because what is apparent when you think of it from that perspective is that under patriarchy, 
women and men are always supposed to feel not good enough. Like you're supposed to feel either not sexy enough or too sexy. Like you're supposed to be unsure of yourself while you're under the power and under the gaze of that. And what what you are supposed to long for and desire for yourself is this mythical, idealized sweet spot, which is, I think, what the media is selling back to us. Right. It's, it's the dilemma of being a, a woman under patriarchy is you're either too sexy, too slutty, or you're too prudish, too innocent. There's never an answer. Yeah. <laughs> you're never. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this brings us to, I think, the, the new genes discussion, right? So, Michaela, did you want to like briefly, like, why, why did new genes become controversial? Yeah, so New Jeans, they're, they're Hybe's new girl group, and they debuted with this song, which was on their debut album called Cookie, which raised a lot of eyebrows because it was very clear that this was a song that was had very sexual undertones. Like, they weren't just talking about a cookie. Yeah, so I actually wanted to take a moment to let the audience listen for themselves to some of the lyrics in New Jeans Cookie and let them decide like what are you what are you hearing take it don't break it i want to see you taste it sugar the sugar that you want some i want to see you taste it <laughs> oh i heard about the controversy before i heard the song itself oh <laughs> and then when i heard the song lyrics i was like oh no this is even worse than i thought like, how be- can anyone miss this <laughs> And it just kept coming. Like the chorus had in innuendo, then the verse had innuendo, then the breakdown near the end of the song, they add more like, want to see you taste it. Oh, God. They just like stepped in it over and over. I feel sorry for them. I will add that as someone whose first language was Korean, yeah, it right. took me a while for it to mm. register. When mm. I first heard... The when I first heard the song and when I watched the music video, I it took me a while. It yeah. took me several listens to be like, "Huh, am I the only one who thinks this is a no. Yeah, right. Because because we as like native English speakers, that's that's an immediate like we get that. But it, it it was my like when you hear it, it's like, oh, I could understand how especially somebody who's not a native English speaker couldn't get that right away and maybe couldn't necessarily fully understand why it was so triggering to everybody because it, it just it, when you're not it is, when it's not your native language that can come up right yeah and I remember there were fights in the comment section basically right. all in Korean where some would say this is absolutely ridiculous for people who are 16 you know so yeah. young to be singing these lyrics too suggestive and other people saying well the term to burn cookies or to cook cookies mm-hmm. in Korean is <laughs> is um, it referring to CDs at the time. Burning CDs and burning cookie was supposed to be the the connection of like listen to our music. So I remember seeing that fight mm-hmm. in the comment section, and when Adore, which is the label behind New Jeans, came up with a long thorough statement defending why this is not, you know, suggestive and inappropriate. They actually mentioned that saying that, oh, we're actually talking about CDs and why Mm -hmm. our music is different and how it's not like everyday meals. It's like a dessert that is not mainstream. I I think that was the argument. What do you think about their rebuttal? Uh, (laughs) Before we get into that, you know, sigh, I I wanted to maybe read the comment we received from the CCTV Pops team um, so we can, you know, have... Oh, wait, no, scratch what I said. Michaela, you are filling in for Chris and CCTV Pops. So could you please read the comment they submitted? Yeah, so Chris and Chan from CCTV uh, Pops team, they said, human culture and especially the entertainment industry is still shaped by the male gaze. A lot of girl group fans are men. The executives are men. Uh, The creative director of New Jeans is a woman, which is great. But in the 
current culture, their team needs to navigate liberating women while still battling the male gaze. Current fashion trends and social media influences emphasize sexuality, the liberation of the body, and loving yourself. Though a young teenager wearing a crop top in theory should not be an issue, the reality is there are creeps out there (laughs) that we need to protect the young generation from. Regarding new jeans specifically, the choreography and the lyrics matter. Attention did not need to be filled with body rolls and hair flips. Great choreography can be created without using moves that can be seen as suggestive. The label claims that Cookie is about their music being a cookie and wanting everybody to hear their music, but food metaphors for sexual behaviors are not a new phenomenon. And trying to gaslight the audience and saying that they have dirty minds was not the right way to defend this. If you want to go that route, be more literal. Our music is a cookie. Again, a young person singing about eating a cookie should not be an issue, but with the current cultural climate, better be safe. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, that's that's definitely the perspective I also come from. Like, again, we with with the way K-pop is now, you see a lot of push towards the Western market. So it's, you know, it's not just the focus on Korean fans. There's also the focus on especially getting fans in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So... While, yes, in the Korean context, obviously the Korean fans, especially who wouldn't necessarily get this initial like misunderstanding of the concept or would get it at its face value of like, oh, the cookie is music. You you still have to acknowledge that this, from especially with the history, is going to be a major issue, especially in the Western market. And and from an from industry perspective, it's better to respect that perspective and not just, like I said, gaslight fans into thinking that mm. it's just one way. Especially the the way that Adore went about it. Mm. I agree. The gaslighting the audience really stuck out to me. Because if you look at their statement, it's very thorough and it's very well researched. It's almost too strategic and too logical to the point of maybe they imagined, maybe they knew that they would get backlash. So they prepared Mm. certain rebuttals. One of the rebuttals was that their album, one of their albums is shaped like a CD player. So they can point to that and say, look, this is what we meant. But the layout of the rebuttal just made me, just gave me chills reading it. The fact that it's a, I think it's a Swedish composer Mm. whose English is like their native language, wrote the the chorus. And there was a Korean-American translator who translated Mm. the lyrics into Korean and English. I just can't imagine Mm. that they missed it with so many steps of approval that they needed to go through. Yeah, that was really a a funny reveal to me that they were like, we had native English speakers writing the lyrics. It's like, Mm. you you don't want to share that, actually. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make it better. That makes you look worse. That makes you look worse. (laughs) Right. That you did have... It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, we, we went to America for two weeks. We understand that this isn't an mm-hmm. issue. <laughs> like, no, there's, yeah, there's, there's more they to supposedly, it. Supposedly, they went around to professors of language, like academics, and asked them. And for all, their they, were, they were like, yeah, expert opinion. Like, <laughs> I don't know who they found to say, like, no, there's no way. Uh, cookie, like I've never heard of that. You know, what do you take me for? Completely, <laughs> like went back in time, mm-hmm. found some old, old medieval English professors. Like, I guess what I was trying to to get at, you know, all jokes aside, clearly, like when when I heard when I heard the song, I knew that the lyrics were written with the close collaboration of native English speakers because. The grammar was impeccable. The slang and the casualness of the rhymes. Like, it wasn't clunky. It wasn't, like, struggle English. It was natural. And it included, especially, like, Black slang in there. And so if they're going to go to such lengths to create something that feels authentically American or English, then they need to 
be thinking ahead about how their audience will perceive like the meanings of the, the language that they're using. They need to especially bring in like black cultural consultants. That was just a huge miss on their part. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, a larger issue in K-pop. Yeah, which is su- surprising because like if you look at the new jeans and their their whole concept and their songs, like it's very much that like 90s, early 2000s yep. girl group style. Mm-hmm. R&B. R&B style. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they completely missed that part of the cultural context is is a really hard miss on their part. Did y'all know that R. Kelly has a song called Cookie? Oof. <laughs> it's just like that bad. It's that bad. You can easily Google and see all of this like mm-hmm. <laughs> disgusting content. <laughs> I did I did want to mention though um a comment from our Slack, DJ John, who who kind of had the especially when you compare this situation, if you look at New Jeans and you look at Le Seraphim, the fact that the company actually came out and like defended their artists and defended their art was like very different in in, yeah. in contrast to how Le Seraphim was treated, especially during their their scandal. And so in in that sense, it's it's a good thing that you you have a company that's out there and who wants to support their artists and stand by their artist, especially when to some people, especially if they don't feel like there's a major issue to them, this is like specifically he mentions like censorship and like thought policing and like not being able to es- express your art the way you want to. Mm-hmm. I think the usual default for K-pop companies is time will cure it and another Ooh. controversy will cover up our current controversy. <laughs> Let time be the medicine. But I think in this case, they came guns blazing, saying right. absolutely not. Yo, guns blazing is right. <laughs> and why do we think that is? We compare the two scandals or like this. Yeah, I feel like this was handled differently from 90% mm-hmm. of K-pop scandal controversies. Yeah. Which which comes to the bigger question of like now in this what is what is different about this moment for, for new jeans versus all the other times in the past where these things have come up before. I mean, maybe one thing is is female led management, possibly. Mm, that's right. Minijin, who's the head of Adore label and former chief brand officer of SM Entertainment. She mm-hmm. was behind, I think, a lot of the creative ideas for Girls' Generation, Shiny, F of X, moved over to Hive. And this is her This is her girl group that she's been planning and promoting. So yeah, cha- most of the executives that at least I'm familiar with are usually male. So that's a really good point about having a female chief executive. Mm-hmm. I think the buying power and the strong vocalization from English-speaking fans, we can't ignore. I think in the beginning, in the first week or so, when Korean fans were like, I have no idea what you're talking about, those English-speaking fans really, really stood up. Like you said, K-pop has never been more global than it is now. So with great power comes great (laughs) responsibility. You'd think. Somebody better tell them. (laughs) (laughs) What just occurred to me when you brought up... Uh, Min Hee Jin being a female creative director is that maybe for her, this is personal. Maybe for Ooh. her, like she knows what she represents symbolically is like a new woman led wave. And to receive this kind of criticism that she's actually guilty of the same thing that the nasty old male <laughs> executives are must be like, oh no, we need to quash this. Like, I'm different. I'm the good one. Like, putting myself in her shoes, I might feel really attacked. Um, Yeah, she took it personal. Perhaps. Because when she was in SM Entertainment, I feel like the brand of SM was so strong. But a lot of the articles before New Jean's debut mentioned her name. So the stakes were, Mm. I think, higher for her. I totally see that. Yeah, it's her name on the line right now and her her intentions. Mm-hmm. And like if you're labeled as someone who sexualizes minors or who enjoys that or who capitalizes on that, 
There's not really many worse things you could be, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder um, if the rise in just feminism and like conscious consumption of the media has accumulated to where consumers can speak up and brands will listen and then respond. I think with the Me Too movement, and there was a book, um, I forget what year it was, maybe 2017 or 2018, called Kim Ji-young, who was born in 1982. Have you heard of this book before? No, tell us about it. It's like the most anticlimactic book of an ordinary Korean woman named Kim Ji-young, who was born in 1982. And it walks through her entire life from kindergarten to K through 12, college, getting a first job, marrying, having a kid. And the subtle sexism Mm. systematically, but also interpersonally that she faces in each stage of her life is highlighted so brilliantly. The Mm. book was a huge, huge, huge bestseller. Is it a novel or like It's a fiction novel. So the person didn't exist. But I think that's the whole point is this Kim Jiang could have been me. It could have been my grandma. It could have been my sister. And I think that novel, along with the Me Too movement in the last four to five years, has raised the average person's consciousness about sexism um, more than it did maybe in the last 10 years. Yeah. Actually, now that I remember, that that did come up when we were having our feminine a feminism conversation with Professor Hagen, Stephanie. Mm, she had actually, mm-hmm. she had mentioned this book specifically yes. as being very important, especially for Korean people in moving the bar for understanding of feminism and, you know, sexism. There's a movie as well. I strongly recommend mm. it. It's very sad. But oh, it's no. very anticlimactic. <laughs> I mean, but that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> when it is suggested on the show or on Twitter that, you know, maybe companies are listening. Maybe companies are learning. Mm. Um, You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. (laughs) Um, That these companies are rather going as far as they are allowed to go. They are being maybe forced to change the superficial outward expression of what they're doing to look a certain way. They are being forced to respond with a different PR strategy than has worked in the past due to fan consciousness and fan behavior. But I don't think that the core business model or the core forces of exploitation and sexualization are really shifting that much. I think these businesses would really need to hurt like way more than they are today for us to see uh, like liberation of some kind or like feminist practice of some kind. The artists, the workers would need to organize and strike in right. at the very least, like just knowing how power works in capitalism. Like, I don't think we should be... Hmm, I I think it's good to be like hopeful and stick their feet to the fire if we feel energized to do so. And I don't want us to be distracted either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good point because new jeans will make a comeback Mm -hmm. unscathed almost. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. People will watch. Mm -hmm. Um, People will be, yeah, people will be watching closely to see if they repeat the same mistakes again. But from a financial perspective, and even from a brand perspective, I think you can argue that the controversy has drawn a lot of attention, oh, yeah. a lot of media to this new girl attention. group. Attention. <laughs> That's right. No pun intended. <laughs> um, yes. So the consequences are just not big enough in order for us to stop this. Right. And that that's what I was going to mention is like new jeans is actually doing very well. Like yeah. they're not yeah. they're not suffering financially in any way because of this controversy. It's it's, like, it's definitely helped them a lot more than it, it it's hurt them in the scenario of of them being very popular now and very well known. Like we're again, we're we're talking about them you know despite them you know being technically under hive like they they had that behind them but this this whole discussion and this controversy has definitely helped their um 
brand recognition as far as setting them apart from other girl groups, apart from, you know, their their music and their style being very different and the fact that they are also very young. Because <laughs> that, that's another thing about K-pop is like, right, that they their their youth is part of their marketability, right? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, another point <laughs> is coming, uh, which is that these idols, and I'll say it again, these idols are a product Mm-hmm. going through like a manufacturing process. And if we look at industrial revolution or any industry, they want to control the product from day zero. Like you can see the direction it's going with the trainees getting younger and younger. Trainees are, of course, learning the skills that they will need to debut on stage. They are learning how to dance provocatively from what age? Five, six? I'm sure they are. Oh, because gosh. my research like, going through all those really awkward K-pop star yo, auditions with those little babies, like oh trying to dance all sexy in front of the judges. And yeah, oh. with their little baby belly sticking out and no. they're like popping. <laughs> um, but from if 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 we think of an idol like a car or a phone, then like why wouldn't you program it with everything it needs to succeed like from the day that you get them why wouldn't you train them in these skills which is like the sexualized dancing and talking and whatever like why wouldn't you if you're if your goal is to sell this product on day one and have them be like ready on stage and like milk them for all the value they've got in the scene like of course you would like pluck the babies right out Why not? Like, start when they're in the womb. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like the point that you made about, like, they, during their training years, they learn the dancing and the singing and the posing and the looking at the camera a certain way. In addition to those skills, I think there's, like, a very early on kind of social skill that they learn and internalize to navigate the politics of this adult world so early on. Saying yes even when you don't understand the fierce competition and scarcity mentality that if I do something wrong, I might be kicked out. The constant kind of lack of power and agency that they have to speak up against something that they don't agree with starts so young that by the time (laughs) that they debut, it's just second nature. You just say yes and you just execute. Um, The lack Mm. of, yeah, lots to say there. Yeah. Yeah, and especially right when if you look in the the Korean society contents, right? Because you know obviously this exists everywhere, but especially if you grow up where age hierarchy is mm-hmm. so ingrained into to how you move about the world, mm-hmm. you can understand how that can be much more effective into how you you develop as you grow up. Yeah, I think um, in the Korean language. There are formal tones and informal tones, similar mm-hmm. to Spanish uh, and many other languages. But I think yeah. in Korean, it's very, very distinct. And the dance instructor, but also the brand manager, uses usually an informal tone to the trainees because they're mm. just younger. And the trainees have to use the formal tone. That in mm. itself is like a true imbalance of power dynamics from day one that I wanted to point out. Yes, thank you so much for taking it there, going into more detail about how like from day one of the trainee coming in to the label and this experience, they're learning not only like, thank you for building on like what I said about, oh, they're learning how to dance sexy (laughs) and how to perform on stage. They're also being indoctrinated with social skills. You can, if you can call it that, but being indoctrinated with ways of being and thinking that make them obey and accept things that they might not want. They might not e- they might forget who they actually are and, and what they want, which makes them a way better product for, <laughs> <laughs> for molding and selling. But yeah, then we get situations like this. We get performances that veer too far into a realm that some viewers feel like something is off, something is wrong. 
and the artists are caught in the middle. Like I was just following orders. I was just doing what I was told. I don't know. We, we, we don't actually have, we don't usually have access to what the artists themselves are thinking and feeling. That actually reminds me, there is a song by, it's like, what's that? Like Older Sister Perfume. Do you know that song? It's by Infinite. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it called? Can we look it up? Is it? Oh my gosh, yes. Hyangsu Kirijima? Yes, Yes. Perfume on yeah. You by Teen Top. Teen Top, So yeah, one of the yeah. Teen Top members. And the, if you haven't listened to the song, it's really you can good. play no. it now. <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't listened to this song, we can either play it now or you can look it up. But yeah, yeah, the lyrics are basically, bit. yeah, the lyrics are basically the team top members, the singers, are dating two people at the same time right. and telling one of them, uh, don't wear your perfume because if you wear your perfume, it's going to rub off on me and my girlfriend is going to know, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Trashy Dang. lyrics, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and one of the team top members came on an interview in 2021, very recently, many, right, many years right, right. since the song has come out, and said, Oh, I remember at the time the lyrics that were really that stood out to me were like Duna and mm, sparkles Duna. and perfume. And I did mm-hmm. not fully understand the message at the time. Mm. And now that I look back, I'm like, oh. So I think that's right. a prime example of how, you know, some of the K-pop idols might not understand and might not even question the yeah. songs that they're singing or the dances that they're dancing. Yeah. No more perfume on you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, that comes back around to lack of agency, lack of knowledge, lack of consent, which is, yeah, I think a really core issue to this discussion. If people are doing things with full knowledge, full consent, and they control it, I'm more okay with that. Yeah, I don't know if we want to... Think about potential solutions or what could be done. Yeah, yeah, yes. But on the notion of agency, Mm. I thought about self-producing idols, people Mm. who write their own songs. Son Soyeon from (laughs) G-Idol is a prime Uh, example. Peter, you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) That's like his his bias (laughs) all time. Um, Or... Uzi of 17. Oh, There's yes. so many examples. Right? Yeah, yeah. But I think when you're writing and producing and you're in the meeting rooms at the table when we talk about concepts and colors and messaging, then you can say yes or no to certain concepts. You have more control and power and autonomy. I think that's one potential solution. What do you all think? You know what I'm going to say. Abolish capitalism <laughs> and patriarchy. <laughs> Just easy. It's what I always that say. Too. Yeah, like any anything, uh, anything that is produced by these corporations under this system is going to be selling us and is going to be produced in such a way that that reproduces and perpetrates all the stuff we're talking about: exploitation, lack of agency, sexualization of minors. Because that is the stuff that works on our psyche as consumers and gets us to be obedient, lose our agency, blah, 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 blah. So, like, we have to hit at the heart of the system and these corporations and need to be thinking and talking critically about our feelings on this and what's really happening. Absolutely. I also want to share some examples in the past where people have spoken up Mm. and either the industry, the K-pop industry or the online industry has taken like systemic measures Mm -hmm. towards positive direction. One is that there's actual legislative change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's a Korean law where minors can't work past 10 p.m. So between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 p.m., 6 a.m., 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., you can't work. That's why when you see Melon Music Awards or Mnet Asian Music Awards, Mama, you see some of the younger idols being escorted out at 10 p.m. <laughs> I mean, in order to comply with this law. There's also after Wow, the imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I don't know if they actually comply that. I mean, that's another... Uh, like. Well, they, there's definitely the appearance. Basis. Like, even in, in cases where they're filming variety shows overseas, like, specifically, I think, uh, was mentioned in, in one of the articles I read when... when Ji Sung from NCT was a minor and he was working in the U.S. Um, they made him like 
go to bed <laughs> at specific times while the other members who were adults were like partying downstairs or whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was like, screw this law. I want to be out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think, yeah, that one's a good example. And then with the passing of Seolli from FFX yeah. and Kuara from Kara, mm-hmm. um, Naver, which is the most popular search engine of Korea, kind of like Google is here, right. they banned the anonymous comment section under articles about right. celebrities. So now you can only react with emojis and the choices mm. are limited. It's like, happy, celebrate, I support this. And that has, I think, dramatically reduced the amount of ridiculous hate comments out there. Mm-hmm. So these two examples of labor laws that protect minors from overworking and systemic measures to reduce the number of hate comments are, I think, potential positive examples that we're moving in the right direction. Mm. Not enough, yeah. though. I'm eager, eagerly awaiting maybe laws that impact staff, management, executives' behavior towards their artists, towards their yes. juniors. Like, you can't talk to them in this certain way. You can't do, you can't make them do X, Y, Z. But that'll be the last frontier, right? Right. Restrict, restricting what a boss can do. Do you think stricter censorship will help? Like banning certain music videos and certain songs? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Censorship seems to address like a far downstream symptom of issues that we've, through this discussion, have found like are farther up the chain. I guess, Mm -hmm. how this stuff is produced, who's in the room or not, trainees being really young, like censoring the end product is not getting at the source. Yeah, Yeah, right. It's it's, it's very, very superficial surface level, almost almost just like throwing a blanket on the problem. (laughs) Well, you still, the problem is still there. Without addressing the root cause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if people want to watch it, they're going to find it and watch it, especially yeah. kids. Especially yeah. kids these days. Like if I hear something's banned and I'm like 10, I'm like, I'm hacking, I'm in, I'm like VPN. Yeah, you know, let me find it. Right. That just makes me want it more. Yeah, we all need to like remember how did we think and how did we act as young kids? Middle school, preteen. I, for one, really wanted to be adult. I right. wanted to like consume more adult content, mm-hmm. right? And you can't stop them necessarily. <laughs> we can we can help kids think more critically and more honestly about what they're consuming, and help kids develop their sense of self esteem, mm-hmm. agency, all those things we we're talking about. We can as much as possible through our relationship with kids, like prepare them for this world and what they're going to see. I would rather us focus on that and not, not try to restrict, you can't watch this. You can't no. consume this because that's going to make them want it more and like go around you. Do you then see that more as being part of a, a new part of the, the training process, right? Or starting even earlier before that? It has to be like in the home, in our mm-hmm. families, these conversations. Mm-hmm. I don't trust companies to do it right at all. But then if the kid is like self-actualized and knows who they are and knows what they want and what they don't want to do, they're going to be kicked out of the label, the training yeah, program so quick. <laughs> You're like, did you just say no to me? Naga. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wilp. <you> know. <laughs> But that that's what it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just assuming, you know, they're they're in, in a company that is is like that. Or you, like you said, going back to companies encouraging, you know, their trainees to be artists, to be able mm-hmm. to express mm-hmm. themselves freely, to be able to find and and learn about the world so that they can better express that in their art or on stage or in their interactions with their fans, which, you know, makes all of those expressions more genuine and more real, which is more appealing to an audience, right? Because that's that's 
one of the the reasons using like BTS as an example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they they one of the things that comes up all the time is how genuine they you know they yes. are because of their ability to express themselves more than I guess the average artist or the average idol, especially at the time that they were coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. The authenticity piece. And how it kind of goes against the profit-making model for a lot mm. of the K-pop companies, mm-hmm. royalties or copyright ownership to the songs and the lyrics. I think having that, sharing that with the artist is not mm. within the self-interest of the companies. Yeah. However, the authenticity and just like sense of like genuine closeness with your fans that comes from saying things you want to say invaluable. Right. We just had a whole discussion about when we went through Jackson's album. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, Jackson, again, Jackson right now, he's, he's you know, under his own label. He's not, he's not under JYP. He's not necessarily an, an idol in that kind of system. So he's able to do all these things because he has that freedom now. But we talked about that album because we were able to physically see and feel all the things that he was being able to present mm-hmm. in that project. Yeah, and that flies in the face of, was it the quotes you were just sharing of, of the idols who didn't understand what the songs they were singing were about? Or like artist interviews, or like we've, we've been invited to interview like rookie groups and we'll ask about the meaning of a song and they'll give like the one-line PR answer <laughs> or they won't Memorized. even talk about the B-side songs at all. They're like, huh, what's that song? Let me talk about the title track. Is it... <laughs> There's such a big separation between a lot of these artists and the content they are being told to produce, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the documentary for Le Seraphim. It's on YouTube. Mm. And I yeah, was surprised. I was surprised at the positions of the staff in the room. Like one person's role was 100% on storytelling. And there's this part of the documentary where she has this PowerPoint presentation of like what image they're supposed to represent. Mm. It's so strategic and thought out. And Mm. I think they showed that part in the documentary because then they showed the one-on-one interviews with the members where they say, wow, they took what I said in these interviews and like crafted it into a message about confidence and like being a different version of yourself. But in my mind, I was just so shocked that there's like a dedicated team, a department to just storytelling and image making. Definitely. Definitely. I'm surprised they let, oh my God, like I need to go watch this Mm -hmm. because I've suspected, I've suspected that they have huge teams devoted to that, but to like see it on film would be another level. (laughs) Wow. So closing out, where can our listeners go to like research about this, learn more about this discussion? Are there any like sources? So, so you mentioned the book. Can you say the, the title of the yeah. book one more time? Cho Namju. Namju Jo, mm-hmm, I think is mm-hmm. the English name. Got it. Okay, yeah, you're right. Kim Ji Young, born 1982. Highly recommend. Cool. A good read, or if you just have an hour and a half, I recommend that you watch the movie too. Mm, yes. I think if you want to get an inside peek into the meticulous crafting of the messaging and the branding behind a K-pop idol's debut stage, the Seraphim's documentary, I think, gives you a little bit of a glimpse. Mm-hmm. It's on yes. YouTube. Great. I think that's uh, that'll keep our listeners busy for at least the next week or so. <laughs> Until, until the next new jeans come back, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. We're all going to be, like, glued to the screen. Like, uh, was that a body roll? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, everyone. So thank you for a spirited discussion. This was, like, really fun. I think we got to touch on a lot of important aspects of the discussion that are maybe not, uh, not shown or not obvious mm-hmm. in the more like tabloid articles that are coming out about this. And I think at the end of the day, all of us still are huge fans of K-pop and we really want to support our favorite artists and idols in expressing themselves and doing what they want, whether that's 
dancing a little sexy or wearing whatever. Just like if they want to do it, go for it. If they don't, we have a problem. We need to mm-hmm. talk <laughs> with their labels, that is. So That's right. um, wrapping up, why doesn't each of you share where we can find you online and anything you'd like to promote? You can start with me. My name's Stephanie, and you can find me on Twitter at sparker2. And I'm at Michaela J K-pop, also on Twitter. But you can also follow all of us at the K-pop Cast on Twitter and join our Slack channel. And you can find me by searching K-pop sociology on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to join us on the K-pop Cast Slack and newsletter. Links to those are in the episode description. Are there any other specific uh, videos that you want to promote from your your channel, or any new projects that you have yeah. coming out? I wish I had something more exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, have you have you made any videos that are maybe tangentially related to this arena? Ah, uh-huh. there's a video that I made about eight years ago mm. <laughs> about how sex sells in K-pop. It Boom, was the first video that went viral. It's very short. I but wonder I think... why. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's an important ongoing discussion. So you can look up K-pop sociology, why K-pop sells sex. Mm. Should be the first video that comes up. <laughs> Boom. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad we had you on for this and all of the historical context you could right. provide. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you both for having me and the thoughtfulness and the intentionality and talking about systems. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's another thing, even though even though we're ending this episode, this this conversation is still ongoing. So especially, right. guys, if you have any other thoughts, please, please come on and share so we, you know, we can start maybe making change from these conversations. Eh? Eh? Stuff in uh, let's not get crazy now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about it, talking about it honestly, critically like this is a really important first step. For sure. I agree. I'm all about it. Okay. All right. On that note, have a great weekend, everybody. Bye. Take care. Come straight up, fuck the screen. Type of girl you wanna ice and make me freeze. Type of girl you wanna wipe off in the free. I'll bring money to the table, not your dinner. Both my body and my bank account could figure. Thinking about me, but there's nothing to consider. If I let you in my circle, you a winner. Didn't know that you were cold till you found my